Yesterday I was thinking about how to introduce this morning's sermon. wasn't sure where to begin. And, and introductions are important. I do believe that introductions are important, but I just kept coming up empty. I think it may have just been a case of mental block or something similar, but whatever it was, I just kept drawing a blank and the pressure of not knowing what to say was mounting. So I just picked up my Bible and trying to try as best I could to suppress the rising anxiety. I just continued to read through the chapter, review the chapter, try to again enter into what's happening there in this chapter. And then I noticed something. Something small and, and honestly, just, just full disclosure, something, something not even in the text itself. Something small, probably insignificant, but nonetheless very helpful to me at that time. I noticed that at least in the English Standard Version, which is what I use, the English Standard Version includes just one heading that hangs over the entire chapter. Jesus heals a man born blind. And this struck me as unusual. That just one chapter, one heading to cover an entire chapter 41 verses in total. So just quickly, there at my desk, I began thumbing through the rest of John's Gospel, and sure enough, of the 21 chapters, 19 of them have multiple divisions. The only two that have just one heading is this one, and John 17, where of course we find Jesus' high priestly prayer. So, in a passage that deals with blindness, this one thing came into singular focus. It suggests to me that this one main truth is what John intends to impress upon our heart, and that is this, that we are called to see and savor the Savior. This entire chapter tells of a man who, though born blind, was made to see. He came to see in the physical sense as Jesus opened his blind eyes, and he came to see spiritually also as Jesus opened the eyes of his heart. At the beginning of this chapter, the man is, is just a blind beggar, but by the time we get to the end of the passage, he is a true worshiper of Christ. What we witness in this final section, what we just read there, verses 35 and following, what we witness here is the man's conversion to Christ his faith in Christ, and his worship of Christ. 
And remember, this sign is, or this, this healing, the healing of this man is a sign to show that Jesus Christ is indeed the light of the world that shines into our darkness, that we may see the glory of God and savor what we see. Certainly, there are many truths woven throughout these 41 verses, and we've discussed some of them over the past few weeks, but it seems to me that they all call for this one great response. It's important because it brings us back to the heart of true faith, to the very heart of relationship with God and to that which sustains relationship with God. Important because it reveals our great need of salvation and leads us to the one who saves So this morning, I'd just like to consider with you, from the text, the fact that we are sought, we are sought by the Savior, that we might see and savor the Savior. I'm struck by this word found in verse 35. Jesus heard that the man had been cast out by the Pharisees, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And that Jesus found this man suggests two things. It implies two things. First, that the man was lost, and then that Jesus seeks the lost. The man had been cast out of the synagogue by the religious authorities. He'd been excommunicated, essentially, dismissed from their presence as an utter sinner, verse 34, unwelcome and unwanted. He was lost with nowhere to go. His neighbors had, were already skeptical of him. As we learned earlier, remember, they were the ones who forcefully brought him to the authorities in the first place. His parents were afraid to side too closely with him, that they might be put out of the synagogue. So to whom could he go? Cut off from those he knew, who would come alongside him and care for him? He was lost with nowhere to turn. But Jesus Christ seeks the lost. And he found this man. It doesn't say that the man found Jesus or was even looking for Jesus, but that Jesus found him. In fact, Jesus has been the initiator from the very beginning. Back in verse 1, it was Jesus who saw the man, who approached the man, who displayed God's might by healing the man. The man wasn't calling out for Christ. He wasn't expecting to to meet Christ or be healed by Christ that day. But Jesus went to him and opened his blind eyes. And now Jesus is about to open the eyes of his blind heart as well. Dear people, oh, the beauty of this great gospel truth that God in His love, seeks and saves the lost. I think of the lost parables. You know them. Of Luke 15, 
great examples of this reality, these parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son each illustrate that Jesus Christ seeks us and finds us in our lostness. He doesn't wait for us to find ourselves or save ourselves. Rather, like this man in John 9, he sees us and he seeks us and he saves us to himself even when we have no thought of him. This is the grace of God. This is the grace of God. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound, right? That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Aren't you thankful this morning that God doesn't wait for you to find your way home, but instead He finds you and brings you home? Aren't you thankful that God comes to you in your blindness and shines forth the light of Christ into your dark heart? Be assured, be assured that we, we see and we savor the Savior only because He first seeks and saves the lost. Though we turn from God and our sin condemns us, God sent His Son to rescue us to rescue us from sin's power and penalty and to restore us into relationship with Himself. This is God's doing. It is a sovereign work of God, a saving work. Through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whom God has sent in love, whom God has sent in love. Remember how the chapter began. Jesus said in verse 4, We must work the works of Him who sent me. Jesus was sent by God to this blind man and John in recording this account, includes this small but important detail. He says in verse 7 that the pool in which the man was told to wash, the pool of Siloam, also means sent. I think John intends us to see this connection between the Savior and Siloam. I think the point he's making is that the man's healing came not from the pool called sent, but ultimately from the sent one himself. The man was lost and Jesus found him. And having found him, he says to him in verse 35, Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe in the Son of Man? The Son of Man a title that first appears in Daniel chapter 7, a title that stresses Christ's messianic identity, a title that emphasizes His might and ministry as divine Messiah. Jesus is calling for response. He is calling the man to faith, and the interchange in verses 36 and following pictures the need for faith. We mustn't miss this. 
Here was a man who already obeyed Jesus. Right? Jesus had given him instruction, go to the pool and wash, and he went and he washed. So already he obeyed Jesus. Already he was dramatically changed by Jesus. Already he told others about Jesus. Already he even suffered opposition because he sided with Jesus. These are great things. They are wonderful attributes. They make for a great testimony. But but he hadn't yet believed on Jesus. He hadn't yet trusted in Jesus. He hadn't yet entrusted himself to Jesus. He hadn't yet known Jesus as Savior. So, yes, salvation is a sovereign work of God. It is a gift of grace. But hear this, it is a gift to be received and responded to personally. So the question that hangs or the question that faces each one of us this morning is the, the same question that Jesus posed to this man. Do you believe on Christ? It's not, it's not primarily, it's not primarily do you obey It's not primarily, have your needs been met? Are you changed? It's not primarily, do you tell others about me? It's not primarily, do you side with me? The question is much more fundamental than that, and it's one for every member of the church. It's one for every, it's, it's a question facing each person here this morning, each one of us. It's a question for those unfamiliar with church. It's one that calls us to freely and fully submit to Jesus Christ. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you trust Him for salvation? Do you trust in His work? Do you trust in His ability, His power, His person? Do you turn from, from your way to go His? The question, notice, is a yes or no proposition. It's either yes or no. Avoiding the question is a no. A delayed response is a no. A maybe is a no. And so I urge you this morning to answer yes. Because this is the question. We will all answer at some point or another. Either today or when we meet and face God. 
we will be judged ultimately by our answer to this question. Do you believe on Jesus Christ? Now, maybe, maybe you aren't sure what that means exactly. Maybe like this man, you, you want to believe but need help. And I just want you to know that there is good news for you here. You can ask Jesus for help and you can receive the help you need. So the man said, well, who is he, right? Verse, where are we? Verse 36, the man said, well, who is he, sir, that I may believe? In other words, he's expressing his desire to believe while also his need for help in believing. And Jesus helped. Jesus again revealed himself to the man. And the man responded by faith. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe, he said in verse 38, and then he worshipped him. Found by Jesus, the man came to faith in Jesus, and his faith caused him to worship Jesus. It's what it means to believe. Now, what does it mean to believe? It means to worship Jesus Christ. Saving faith is faith that sees and savors the Savior. And I say savors the Savior because to savor something, what does that mean? It means to enjoy to enjoy it, to relish it, to appreciate and delight in it. It's to say, mmm, that's so good. The word savor is, is, is kind of a worship word that speaks of adoration and praise and, and love. And so to savor Christ is to worship Christ. Mm, Lord, you are so good. Mm, I need another taste of you. Oh, God, I just can't get enough of you. That's what it means to believe. And even the, man, the, the, even the way the man addresses Jesus here is worshipful. He calls him Lord. Kyrios in Greek, Adonai in Hebrew. It's a word of praise that exalts God and recognizes God's rule over all things. The man is using more than just a title, more than mere formalities. He was effectively submitting himself 
to the Lordship of Christ. He, he is expressing his love for Christ while entrusting himself to Christ. That's what it means to believe. You see, the issue here is admitting our need for Jesus. That's the gist of what follows in verses 39 through 41. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. In other words, those who acknowledge their need for spiritual sight, who acknowledge their need for spiritual sight and look to Christ to meet that need will have it met. But those who think they see and therefore assume they have no need of Christ are in fact the most blind. Some of the Pharisees were near him and overheard him and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So the man who was born blind knew his blindness very well. Blindness was all he ever knew and probably all he thought he'd ever know. He knew his need and knew that if there was even a remote chance that he could ever see, he'd need help from someone else. He'd need a miracle, really. And, and he received just that through Jesus Christ, who not only restored his sight physically, but also spiritually, and thus restored him to God. But the Pharisees refused to see their need. So steeped in self-reliance, they were unwilling to accept even the possibility that they might be spiritually blind. And I just cannot help but wonder, are there any among us like that? so steeped in self-reliance that we just refuse to see our need of Christ. Unteachable. Unmovable. Unyielding. They trusted in self-effort, not in Jesus. Listen, doing all, si all kinds of good things in the name of God, mind you, without ever really trusting God. We see, we see, they said, when in fact they didn't or wouldn't. Those who think they know and therefore refuse to know remain under just judgment. 
And you may remember in the opening par- uh, prologue, John said of Jesus and those who responded to Jesus, John said, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. John, John wants us to know that the Pharisees' rejection of Jesus was owing to the hardness of their own hearts and their refusal to see what was so clearly before them. But the blind man in this chapter received Jesus. He saw and believed in Jesus, and he was saved by Jesus into the family of God. So listen, the light of Christ does two things. It blinds the heart of heart. It blinds the heart of heart, but it illumines those who believe. So I want to just close with three general applications, some of which pertain to just our passage this morning, but a couple which really pertain to the chapter in whole. The first is this. Ask the obvious questions. Ask the obvious questions. Jesus asked the man point blank whether or not he believed. I try to recall the last time I've asked someone that question. Of course, I ask it often from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. But just in the comings and goings of life, in the everydayness of life, when was the last time you asked someone the simple, direct question, do you believe on Jesus Christ? When was the last time you considered this question yourself? I mean, it just seems so obvious. As we minister to people and share our faith with people, doesn't it seem obvious that we should sometimes just ask them, Do you believe? Maybe that's what it takes. Maybe, like this man, a direct question will bring a direct answer and bring helpful clarity. We mustn't assume that people know to believe. We mustn't assume that people know to believe in Christ or that they know what it means to believe in Christ. Nor should we assume that they don't want to believe in Christ. 
think that Jesus' calls for response is instructive to us, that, that we too should call for response. And in a similar way, it seems obvious that, that after an entire chapter that deals with, with blindness and sight, that we should consider our condition, our blindness, or our sight. I mean, doesn't that seem obvious? And so the Pharisees' question in verse 40 I think the question itself, maybe, maybe they asked it with, with wrong motives. I don't know. Maybe it seems like maybe they asked it with wrong motives. But I think the question itself is worthy of our consideration. Are we also blind? I mean, right now, Just ask yourself and listen for the voice of the Lord. Ask the Lord and listen for his reply. Lord, am I blind? Am I, am I blind to my need of you, Lord? Have I given myself to your lordship? Ask him. Have I, have I given myself to your lordship? Freely? Fully? Or am I trusting in other things? I think it's good to be direct with, with ourselves and with others. Ask the obvious questions. Number two. Don't neglect the physical when ministering to the spiritual. Don't neglect the physical when ministering to the spiritual. I think... Sometimes, in our eagerness to address a person's spiritual need, we overlook, even unintentionally, their physical well-being. Their spiritual condition is obviously of much greater concern. It is an eternal concern. But that doesn't mean that their physical condition is of no concern. And if we're to follow Christ's example, it seems to me that we should minister to the physical as well as the spiritual. I think it's very telling that Jesus healed this man physically first. And then... He let him experience the blessing of that before healing him spiritually. I think it's instructive that the Gospels are full of similar examples of Jesus ministering time and again, ministering to people's physical needs in addition to their spiritual needs is instructive for us. 
And I know that there's these concerns, and some of these concerns are valid, these concerns about the social gospel, and we don't want to become about the social gospel and lose the real gospel. I get it. And fundamentally, I believe, I believe that. But as many of us have experienced ourselves, God often works through the physical circumstances of our lives to address our spiritual condition. Therefore, it's important that we help meet people's physical needs in the effort to address their spiritual needs, not either or, but both and. Think of the people in your life who are lost and in need of Christ. Of course, you already pray for them. I know that. But what if you began? to just consider their circumstance and their physical well-being and their physical needs and began to pray not only for their spiritual welfare but for their physical well-being too. And I'm, I got to step up to the plate myself. And so I just want to share with you that as I've thought through these things this week and prior weeks, and as I'm trying to follow in Christ's steps, and I'm trying to allow the Word of God to just permeate my life, I want you to know that, that I have just recently re-upped my efforts to pray for my sister's physical condition. I'm asking God to heal her physically. To, as he did with the blind man, to go to her, to see her and go to her and deliver her from her multiple sclerosis. I don't know that he will, but I believe he can. And of course, of course, of course, I'm concerned for her spiritual well-being too. But maybe God wants me to pray for her physical condition as well as her spiritual. To be sensitive and tender and caring for what she deals with physically on a daily basis. Maybe. Maybe like this man's blindness, one healing will lead to another. That's my prayer. So don't neglect the physical when ministering to the spiritual. And then thirdly, this is so counterintuitive. Praise God for your afflictions. Praise God for your afflictions. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. This man's sight undoubtedly meant so much more to him because of his blindness. Not in spite of it. Because of his affliction. Not apart from it. Because Christ met him in his affliction, not outside of it. His suffering 
was the sovereign way he came to know God. It was the way he came to know the grace and glory of God more personally. Our afflictions, whatever they are, they provide opportunity to receive God's help and to know God in a more personal, more powerful way. Don't they? Our emptiness... gives opportunity to receive His fullness. And sometimes that comes by way of deliverance in that God delivers us from our affliction, but on other occasions it comes by way of discovery in that, like the Apostle Paul and his thorn in the flesh, we aren't delivered from our affliction necessarily, but we discover more of God in it. can't escape the fact that this man's blindness was the initial circumstance by which he became a worshiper of Christ. And so whether in deliverance or discovery, there's a call here to praise God for your afflictions. There are more accounts of Jesus healing the blind recorded in the Gospels than any other kinds of healing. That was interesting to me. And the fact that these physical healings are signs that point to spiritual realities, emphasize our spiritual blindness and our need for Christ. He is. He is. The light of the world sent from God who shines into our darkness and opens our blind eyes. Do you believe? See, see, see the glory of God in Christ. Savor, savor Savor what you see. See and savor the Savior. Amen. Father, we stand in awe of you. We come before you in awe. So very thankful that that it's you who sought us when we had no, really no thought of you. We were, we were lost and, and had nowhere to turn and you found us. And you used the circumstances of our lives to reveal yourself to us. And you called us to yourself, you revealed yourself to us, and you and you gifted us with the faith to believe 
And we stand with this man and we say, Lord, we believe and we worship. Because worshipers, day by day, help us to see you more and more, continue to open those eyes and even our hearts that we might delight in you in ever-increasing measure for the good of our souls and for the glory of your name. Amen.